When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Front Porch, Braves Country. This is the Tomahawk Take Podcast off Leo's Rocker. I'm Alan Carpenter and joined by senior writer Fred Owens. Hi, I woke up to do this, so pay attention. (laughs) That sounds good. So let's see what we can figure out about the Braves right now. We've had a pretty good week. They went 4-3 and three against the Giants and Dodgers. Probably should have been 5-2, and two, except for a bunch of crazy things that happened in that last Dodgers game. But we'll, we'll take 4-3 and three most times, and that that keeps the Braves in striking distance. Half, after that, they won the first two against Philadelphia, laying an egg tonight. But, you know, you're going to get games like that occasionally. Still, two out of three in Philadelphia, we'll take that as well. That's gotten them to what will be three and a half games back behind the Mets. Again, this is pretty good. They were ten and a half back at the beginning of the month. Now they're three and a half back. The thing that's concerning Ian Anderson, he hasn't been pitching very well. What do you see about him lately, Fred? Well, Ian's problem the whole year has been in location. You know, he, he's given he, in his other starts, he gave away runs early in the game. And then it, uh, an inning or an inning and a half into the game, he, saw, he suddenly found his location. And then he went on to do what fifth starters do, which is uh, give us five or six innings. Uh, and the, the lineup, picked him up you know he'd give away three runs the lineup would score six and then he would give him another run and so that's where he got his four era i think it's probably over five by now but but that's how his era four four and a half era came around he wasn't particularly starting off games well he was starting off games at a deficit most times and that's because he wasn't locating his change up is not quite as good this year as it was last year i think there's a differential and loss of differential between his fastball and his change up and and for for Anderson to be what he was in postseason, he's got to locate and he's got to have that fastball. They've got to they've got to believe in his fastball and then swing at the changeup. And right now they don't because he's not throwing strikes. They wait for him to wait for him to make a mistake. And and you know when you make a st- mistake, the guys like Schwarber they're going to send it to the next county, and that's what happened tonight. The same thing happened with Jesse Cruz. He got he got two men out, two strikes on Schwarber, and then his fastball ran back over the middle of the plate, and it was last seen leaving the continental United States. Ian hasn't been right with his command and his location all year, and that's a problem because against teams uh, who will wait on the ball and and not swing at his stuff, um, he's going to give up runs that the, that the lineup's not going to be, always be able to pick him up. Yeah, and I, it seemed pretty obvious that he was having trouble with anything other than the fastball in terms of the strike zone. And as a result, almost immediately the Phillies hitters seized on that and started hitting fastballs. Uh, in addition to that, the fastballs were just straight. It didn't look like there's hardly any movement going on whatsoever, which is why you know the only shot they had was to see if Schwarber's ball would hit the Liberty Bell and then they go after a taco or something. <laughs> It just wasn't working, and you're right. Uh, he had a 4-6 ERA to start the, the night, and now it's 5-31. That's getting on the ugly side here. Seven runs, seven earned, seven hits. Uh, only one walk, but one strikeout as well. So that that's just not going to get it done over just two innings tonight. So that does uh, lead into another bit of a discussion here that uh, we'll get to a little bit later. But before we do that, I want to clean up some mess from last weekend, and that's the Freddie Freeman drama. Because there was some interesting stuff going going on there in, in, behind the scenes that uh, sort of spilled out today that I uh, wanted to, to talk about. You know, obviously Freddie was 
pretty well overcome. It it, it kind of lingered longer than I think I've ever seen before in terms of a player returning to his former home, uh, to the extent that Clayton Kershaw was kind of wondering out loud, God, golly, does this guy really want to be here? <laughs> and I, I got to wonder if the rest of his teammates in the Dodger dugout are, are wondering the kind of, the same kind of thing. And then the news came out today that the agent, Casey Close, was maybe, possibly, we're, we're, we still don't have the full story, but the uh, insinuation seems to be getting around and, and seems to be confirmed in some sources that he didn't maybe give the last and final offer from the Braves to Freddie. And even if he did, he apparently didn't communicate it in such a way that would have enticed his client to take the deal. Ultimately, he's fired the the agent. Uh, he is no longer being represented by Casey Close, and that seems to be its own little uh, drama going. What have you uh, heard? What are you thinking about uh, what you've heard about this, Fred? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the major the reason that Freeman isn't back in Atlanta is the lockout, because the Braves could not talk to him from the first of December until spring training, essentially. So when you put them in a position where those two sides are forbidden from communicating with each other, then you're sort of hoping everybody gets all the messages to the right place. Now, I don't know Casey Close. He is He's an upfront guy. He's got a hell of a reputation for being a great agent with Excel. Uh, he's Swanson's, uh, Swanson's agent. He's got a lot of high, he, Derek Jeter's agent. Uh, he, he's got a good name in the industry. Yes. However, what happened, what appears to have happened, is that understand how serious Freeman was about returning to Atlanta. And as in the result, he gave he called Anthopolis said, I'll give you an hour to respond to these two quote two um, offers, which he disputes, by the way. Uh, this has been reported largely by John Heyman, John Morosi, and others, that he that he had these two offers given to him in an hour to respond. And we know that Anthopolis doesn't uh, hold, hold up to uh, deadlines. Okay, uh, if, if I've got to do this, I've got to do this now, I'm just going to go do something. So that happened, and then Freeman didn't find out about it until news broke, which is that's Close's fault because eh, he had to know that when that hour passed, he didn't hear from anybody. He didn't pick up the phone and and say, "Well, uh, what's your answer?" Um, he let it go, and then all of us was done. From Anthopolis's point of view, he Freeman Freeman made him two offers that he wasn't willing to accept. Why? I don't know. I can't speak to that. There's a thing in the Athletic today that says uh, uh, it basically came down to Freeman uh, that to Anthopolis deciding that he wasn't going to go that extra year for a player that age, and that he wasn't going he if he was going that far he was going to do it for 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 a Matt Olson, and he couldn't wait any longer because the other people were in on Matt Olson. Yep. So there's that. Then the other thing is that maybe. Freeman didn't make it absolutely clear to uh, to Casey Close that that was his he, he was going to play in Atlanta and what he wanted was the best deal. Uh, and it it re, it re, reminded me of uh, uh, the part in Chipper Jones' book uh, Ball Player where he talks about the deal that kept him in Atlanta uh, the last for the last years when his agent at the time he had told his agent exactly that. I'm going to be in Atlanta. Get me the best deal that you can in Atlanta. And he and he and his current agent, which is also his best friend, sit down and figure, well, you know, it's going to be this amount of money and this amount of years and this I will take this. If they give me this, I'll take it. So they waited and waited and when Chipper didn't hear about it, he picked up the phone and called John Sherholtz. <laughs> yeah. And and Sherholtz said, Yeah, I think we could probably do that deal. So Chipper said, okay, um, and he hung up the phone, and he called his agent, and he said, uh, have the Braves met, made any reasonable offer that I could uh, get me that would get me here to Atlanta? And his agent said, I don't think that they've made any significant changes to the offers right now. I think we can we have more leverage, and we can do these other things. And Chipper said, fine, and then fired him. Uh, and and his, his, his best friend took over his agent. They got the contract, and Chipper stayed in Atlanta forever. Uh, I, there, I think there's a confluence of this. I don't blame individual on this particularly um, other than 
um, if I could point a finger at, at the owners for the lockout, I think they screwed up a lot of teams postseasons. But in the end, Close didn't communicate to Freddie that he was going to give an ultimatum to Anthopolis. Anthopolis doesn't doesn't live live up to ultimatums, you know. And so he said, "Well, that's your ultimatum. It's your way or the highway. I'll see you on the highway," and left. And so for me, um, it was just one of these things that should never have happened. If everybody talked to each other, but nobody did, Al Freeman's terribly upset about it. Now I got something for Clay, I got something for, for, for Clayton Kershaw. Freeman's hitting three oh eight, three ninety one, four ninety seven, eight eighty eight. Yeah. He, he has nine home runs, forty seven RBI, and uh, so Clayton, I don't think you have to worry about him taking care of his job on the field. He'll take care of the Dodgers just like he took care of the Braves. Uh, and shame on you for even questioning his his commitment to his team. When he signed, the, Freddie Freeman's the, one of the most honest people I've, I've ever seen. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He comes out there. He plays the game hard for whoever he's playing for, and he will do that for the Dodgers for as long as he wears the Dodgers blue. They've got a great great first baseman who will do his job, and he will do it very well, uh, gold glover, team leader, uh, and just a hell of a guy, and he's going to do that job well. Um, if, if Clayton Kershaw had, had ended up signing with Houston, uh, this year, this off season, would he have would he have liked it? So, well, I don't know if uh, Kershaw's really attached to Houston. There, he was a Dodger for so long. When you sign that contract, you agreed to play, and you're not going to go out and embarrass yourself. And I think Kershaw embarrassed himself by making that comment publicly. That's, yeah, that's it, my it, rant. Yeah, it certainly does not help uh, things in the in the clubhouse when stuff like that comes out. That should have stayed private. That should have. Uh, been behind clubhouse doors only if it was even said at all. And certainly you're right. The results that, uh, Freeman has put on the field, certainly, I mean, that, that should speak enough for him. Now, back on, on Casey Close though, I mean, for me, it kind of feels like a, you had one job kind of situation. He had exactly one job. His job was get Freeman back to Atlanta. I think he was trying, what it feels like to me is that he was trying to maybe not so much do that, but also trying to generate some additional leverage, which really didn't exist, frankly, uh, with other teams and trying to see if he can figure out how to get a different deal or a better deal uh, by bringing in other clubs and pitting them against each other when really his client had already told the entire world exactly what he wanted, which was to be back in Atlanta. And bottom line, he's fired Casey Close. That tells me who he believes. That tells me who Freddie Freeman sides with in, in all these arguments. It's like you, you want it, one thing, and the agent didn't deliver. The agent is now uh, getting to pay the price because he didn't do what his client wanted. And that w- was to get him back to Atlanta. So whether it's communications, and I think you're probably dead on on this, that uh, the, the lockout didn't help anybody in this situation. But certainly picking up the phone would have helped. I mean, Chipper and, and Freddie know what the score is here. They they talk to each other. They're They're good friends. Uh, Freddie would have known about that situation that you recant, recounted from his book. So there was nothing stopping Freddie from actually making that phone call himself either. Uh, so I'm not going to put it totally on the agent, but I am going to put Except it about 80 or 90 percent. He couldn't make that phone call during the lockout. Well, even after afterwards, he had to know that things were getting dicey because, I mean, spring training was going to start in about a week, and he didn't have a contract yet from anybody. So he had to know that uh, at some point really soon, uh, the Braves are going to have to to jump on something. And whether it was him or, or Matt Olson, he had to know that uh, one of those situations was bad for him. So he could have made a phone call at that point, but I'm still going to put it 80 to 90% uh, on Casey Close, and that's th- why he's uh, been fired. Yeah, I think I think Casey Close misjudged Alex Anthopoulos. I and the market, he, perhaps, but yeah. Well, the, there, like you said, there wasn't any market. He had to go back to the Dodgers and beg for the extra year on the, on the, on the uh, Freeman contract. Right. Uh, and, and, so 
he he'd done he knew he'd shot himself in the foot, and then he's backpedaling and trying to put Band-Aid on this. But I think that he expected Anthopolis to call back and say, "Well, I'm not going to do those two deals, but I'll do this." And when but but he made the mistake of telling Anthopolis A or it was B, and Alex said, "I haven't got the time to mess with this." I think he just misjudged his his clients or the, his, the guy he was dealing with. And by the time he realized it, it was too late. Yeah. And uh, his protestations on Twitter are, um, well, I'm not much of Shakespeare, but me thinks the man doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think when Freddie came back to Atlanta, he probably bumped into Alex here and there and asked a quiet question and got a quiet answer. And he believed his, it. He believed the he answer. Tur- he, yeah. And he turned bright red and his hair started to grow in strange ways. And he went, then he got back to LA or got back, got out of uh, Atlanta and fired close. And I, I would have fired close a long time ago because I, yeah, I'm absolutely certain. He said, I want to be in Atlanta. Get me the best deal you can. And close would say, well, I was trying to get him the best deal I could. Uh, but Anthopolis had returned my call. And, you know, we're going back and forth. He said, she said, I don't know what's going on here. But, um, look, Freddie Freeman's going to be a great ball player in Los Angeles. Matt, Matt Olson's having a hell of a hell of a season so far uh, in Atlanta. Uh, the teams are good. They've got good players. Uh, we need to move on for this. Really getting boring. Yeah, and there were a lot of fans this weekend said, well, Freddie wants to be back in Atlanta. What if we traded for him? And ah! <laughs> I, I, I was like going, looking at that sideways is like, uh, how would that work exactly? And tried to come up with some scenario, even at a fantasy level uh, as to how that would happen. And it, I'm sorry, it just can't happen. It, there's no way to do this. I, I think it is kind of comical at the moment uh, going to baseballtradevalues.com. You you look up Matt Olson and you look up Freddie Freeman and their relative values. Right now they have the exact same number. But you can't trade one for the other and get the same kind of value because Matt Olson's four and a half years younger. He's going to produce more over the next uh, eight years of his contract. Uh, the Braves just aren't going to do this. <laughs> I mean, the only scenario I could even dream of here is you somehow find somebody to dump Marcel uh, Ozuna's contract on. Good luck with that. They would have already done so if they could. And then maybe Freddie could come back as a DH. But even so, why would the Dodgers do that? They don't have another first baseman. They need a guy uh, who could produce like him, and, they're, and that guy doesn't exist on the market. So they've got no incentive to do that. They've got him locked up at a pretty good deal, at least you know in terms of his actual market value. He he get uh, he signed a deal that is better than what the Braves were offering. So the Dodgers have no incentive. The Braves have nobody to trade in order to incentivize the deal to make it make that happen. And they don't have the money. So I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, Freeman's doesn't want a DH. He's a, he's a first baseman. He wants to play. He, right. wants to, he, he said before that he hated DHing because it, he feels like he's out of the game. And, and good ball players don't want to DH. Good ball players want to be on both sides of the ball. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's killing Bryce Harper that he couldn't, that he had to hit without playing the field, knowing what was out in the field, that he could do that better than anybody out there. So you, the, the, the best ball players in the game, they'll take a day off in DH, but they want to play every day on both sides of the ball. And then you, you know, until you're past doing that and you become Nelson Cruz who just, Keeps hitting home runs and he's going to be what he's what 350 years old. I you know, but it's it's when you can't play on the field that's different than I'm not going to let you play on the field and you're still capable of playing a Gold Glove position. So Freeman's not going to do that. He wouldn't accept that kind of deal anyway. And, and I don't know who was what the guy was smoking that suggested that, but I, it's probably pretty good stuff and illegal in 20 states. And if you want to hang your hat on anything, well, after the 2027 season, when Freeman's contract with the Dodgers expires, then maybe they'll consider bringing him back uh, for the twilight of his career or something. But until then, 
It's not going to happen. Sorry about that. Well, we'll ask we'll ask Braves GM in 2027, Mark DeRosa, if it, and his manager David Ross, if he wants to bring back the old old war horse for a for a farewell season, a la Albert Pujols in St. Louis. There you go. And of course, by that time, Acuna will be off to different pastures. Ozzy Albies will be gone, and then we'll just have to see who, who in the current crop. They decide to keep for the long term and, and can keep for the long term, but there, there'd be a chance that this shell, this team by then would be a shell of its former self and maybe Olsen's the only guy remaining at that point. <laughs> so, um, let's move on to a different topic and that is about maybe acquiring somebody else though. Um, Mike Ford's pitching. Oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently, yes. Uh, he is pitching. That is correct. He's walked a guy. He has gotten an out. And is that a home point. run I saw, or is that that? Uh, yeah, I died, 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 died. Yeah, apparently he just gave up a home run uh, to so this whole guy. That, uh, yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah. Okay. Well, I knew it got Mike Ford for a reason. Yep. Uh, Chaos has ensued. It's fourteen to four, <laughs> bottom of the eighth inning. <laughs> But uh, you kind of expected that at this point because we're at the if you patronize our sponsors, uh, we allow you to go walk your dog kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah. the, the this is one of those games, but uh, it's been a while since the Braves have had one, so don't don't fret. It, it's it's all good. Uh, they're still the only team in the majors that uh, well, as of last night, they're now the only team in the majors that haven't lost three in a row. So there there's that at least. But you were asking, you know, with Ian Anderson doing Ian Anderson things lately, which are not playoff Ian Anderson things, you were wondering, do Braves need a starter? Well, do the I Braves think need do. a reliever now, too, with Jansen gone? And um, Matzik's coming back, but... Uh, Is he... Uh, well, we don't, he has his velocity back at, at, during his rehab things, but we don't know if he's going to stay back. Of course, of course, we may have some other guys that are still getting, uh, hurt along the way as we move through the rest of the season. So maybe we need a reliever too. Uh, relievers are easier to get than starters right now, especially, but, uh, what kind of guys, uh, you, th- you think that the Braves might be targeting if they were to go after a starter? Well, I mean, I, I sort of, you're, first of all, you're not going to get Frankie Montas or Luis Castile because um, the Yankees and the Red Sox and the, and the Blue Jays are going to be so heavy in on them, and uh, the Yankees in particular have a minor league system that uh, they use as a um, cash drawer. Yeah, so they can go out and they can get Frankie Montas and Luis Castile, um, and those are the big guns that are going to be out there. And, and really, if you look at it, the Braves have Freed, the Braves have Morton, uh, the Braves have Strider for now, and Soroka's going to come back. Uh, they need a guy who's going to keep them in ball games and uh, preferably uh, go five or six innings and, you know, not give up a half a dozen runs every time out. And so you're talking about probably guys like Martin Perez out of Texas. Maybe Kyle Hend- or maybe Hendricks out of uh, the from the Cubs, Zach Davies from Arizona, Merrill Kelly from Arizona. If you want to, if you want to do that kind of thing, that's the kind of starting pitcher you're after. A guy who's going to uh, uh, going to give you six innings, keep you in the ball game, uh, not embarrass you, not go out and and do that. He's going to be a three or four starter. Um, and and on top of my list is a guy is is uh, Martin Perez, who's having a career year with the Rangers uh, this year. He's got. Uh, he, he's really just better than everybody else out there right now. Something like a, yeah, Martin Perez. There he is. Ah, pull up my lock cheat sheets here. Martin Perez, 2.22 <laughs> ERA, 2.59, uh, FIP, and a 3.82 Sierra in 93 and 93 and a third innings pitched. He's having a hell of a season. He gives up no home runs. He's got a 52% ground ball rate, which suits our infield to a T. He would, he would slot into that rotation. Very nicely, and uh, and give the Braves a lot of innings and win a lot of games for them. Uh, and coincidentally, they have a reliever who's got a 2.02 ERA and 35 innings pitched this year, and actually closed out a game against the Braves. And that's Matt Moore. Matt Moore is just having a renaissance. He still thinks he's a starter, by the way. He keeps telling people that, but every time he goes out to relieve, he just t- closes the inning out. Uh, he's only got one save, but he's uh, he's been pitching really well. 
Both of them are in their walk-year contracts. Uh, I don't suspect they're going to cost a whole lot, and those two guys would, would, make, the, would make the team a, a lot stronger. Now, I know Kyle Muller's in uh, Gwinnett, and I know he's pitching like lights out in Gwinnett like he was before he brought him up the first time, and I really hope the Moldozer comes up and can control that 90 mile, 95 to 100-mile-an-hour uh, beast he throws. Um, but again, even with Mueller coming up, you need a pitcher uh, that can bridge that gap. And, and until then, it, it's going to be one of those guys, I think. Yeah, it's not the time of year to start bringing up rookies that you need to count on for the rotation. And that's the, the gotcha here. Yes, he could probably do it. We don't know if he can do it. I mean, we had brought Kyle Wright up about three years in a row to try and see if he could do that kind of a thing, and he just struggled at the major league level until this year. So it's one of those deals where you really need to go after a veteran guy, somebody who's been there and done that and been proving his worth at the major league level, and that's the kind of guy that you were mentioning. I'm going to highlight Merrill Kelly of Arizona. If you can't get the one-stop shopping thing done in Texas, then maybe you can still uh, get one of their guys, uh, Matt Moore, and then uh, pair him up with Merrill Kelly from Arizona. One of the things that I've been noticing is that over the last, well, basically the month of June, we've had a lot of separation in terms of the standings. Teams that look like they might be contending early on, Arizona and Colorado out of the West were doing pretty well. They were above 500 for quite a while, but they have really uh, come back to the pack in, in a in a big way during the month of June. That's happened in a lot of cases around baseball as well. So, Teams like Arizona and Colorado will probably be sellers now at the deadline. So uh, I think Merrill Kelly is a, probably a, a possibility. He's thrown 84 innings. He's got a seven and a half strikeout per nine uh, rate. He walks three guys per nine, but he also keeps the ball in the ballpark. He's only get, averaging half a home run every nine innings. That's actually pretty good on the, this top 20 or 30. I think that's the best number I'm seeing here. Yeah, it appear so. His ground ball rate's 44%. That ranks nicely with Martin Perez. So there's no real reason not to like this guy. 364 ERA, that's good enough for a fifth starter. In fact, that's very good for a fifth starter. I think that uh, if you can make Arizona a decent deal, you can you probably uh, get him without a lot of trouble because there, as you point out, there are going to be a lot of teams after those big guys. So the Braves might be able to slip under the radar and, and get a guy like Perez or Kelly or guys like that without uh, spending too much in terms of their player capital. Yeah, I, Kel, Mer, 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 Kelly, Mer, Mer, spit this out, Fred. Merrill <laughs> Kelly the kind, is that kind of guy. I mean, if you look at all of the, the Arizona pitchers, and they're basically all the same guy. They Kelly and uh, Zach Davies, they all throw a lot of ground balls. Uh, they keep the ball in the ballpark. They pitch to contact. They just don't get beat around Luke Weaver. They all, they all just keep the ball on the ground and, and ho- let their defense do the job. And that works better in Atlanta than it does in, in Arizona right now. I've, uh, and Arizona, I mean, not, not saying anything Arizona people don't know. Arizona's having having a bad year, although they seem to give the Dodgers hell, which is you go Arizona. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but when you when you look at the uh, look at the list of uh, people out there that are going to be available and what you're going to be able to afford, those are the kind of guys that are co- going to come in and pick it up. You're not going to sign anybody, or unless you're not going to pay for anybody with a long term commitment as a relief pitcher. And I think Kelly's got another year left on his deal after this year. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Maybe that's uh, yes, he does. Okay, so you you got you get that guy, uh, and maybe you've got him for next year, and or maybe you just you, you trade him next year. I, whatever you want to do to him, what you've got to do is stabilize the back of the rotation. And for my money, you need to put a, a right-handed arm in the bullpen. Doesn't have to be a closer because we've got people who can close. But it does have to be, I think you need a, a, a right-handed arm that you can send out there and people aren't going to destroy um, somebody like uh, like Matt Moore. Uh, there are others around the league probably. I, I haven't really looked a, it deep into this whole thing. But you look around the league and you're going to find better. Paul Seawald of Seattle, uh, you know, he's he's got a 
2.6 ERA, I think, and uh, he would do the job just just what just as well. His stuff plus numbers are way up. So you know you're going to find guys around uh, David Robertson. The Cubs are going to trade David Robertson. You know you know they're going to do that. Paul Sewalt, uh, Matt Moore, uh, any of these guys that go in the bullpen, pair them up with a guy who at the innings uh, who can take the innings. Then we have Matt Set coming back. We hope that Yates comes back and is the guy he was before, but we don't know that. People coming back from Tommy John typically have a year where they can either they either lose the control or they lose the lose the speed. Typically, the speeds first, it stays, and then the control comes later. Well, I know he's had longer to recover, but he hasn't pitched at the major league level, so I don't know how you can count on him. Strider's going to run out of innings in the season because he's never thrown more than 94 innings. Um, he's going to push up onto 120 in the season. If you push him to 155 in the season, when he gets to the postseason, he's going to be worn out. You, you've got the same thing. You've got Soroka coming back. Hasn't really pitched for two years. So he's going to give you four or five innings, but he's not stretched out that deep into games. I know he's strong and mentally strong and tough. At the same time, the body will do what the body will do. And we can't, you can't guarantee that. I know you'd like to. I'd like to bet on him. I hope, I hope I can. But for right now, I'd like to go get a better and slot him in there and stabilize the back end of the bullpen and the rotation. Maybe what we ought to do is suggest that uh, they go out and get a Kelly or a Perez and then push Strider to the bullpen, and now you solve both problems with one deal. Well, that would that, work, that, I that think. That might be a yeah. way to go. Yeah. That would work, I think, and, but uh, I think Strider wants to start. But uh, I, can, I can see him in the back of the bullpen uh, doing that job. Uh, if you can find the innings, with, maybe you, maybe you put, grab two guys. Uh, you know, you, if you have to push Strider to the bullpen, maybe you go out and get a Get a Kelly and, and I don't know, Joe Bagadonis to go with him and, and put him in the rotation. Maybe you pull up uh, somebody from uh, Gwinnett to pitch the fifth and sixth spot. But you've got you've to cover these innings without killing these young arms. You can't wear the arms yeah. out until they're no good next year. We did that under Freddie under Freddy Gonzalez, and it didn't work very well long term. So we need to take care of these young arms. And we need to get the innings covered, and we need to get the bullpen stabilized because I I I pray that Kenley Gant- Jansen comes back okay, but I can't guarantee that he's not a kid right now. He's done this twice before, and boy, it scares me anytime you talk about somebody's heart. So I, it just worries exactly. me to death. And I and and I would like to have another right-hander in the bullpen. Um, and Matt Moore fills that job pretty well. Paul Seawall probably does that as well. Uh, looking at him. There's probably uh, Bass from Miami probably fits in there okay. So there's there's people who can do the job, and they won't be expensive. Uh, but you need to, we need to move and get that stabilized so that the, the it isn't Freed Morton and you know and then who, <laughs> and so you need to stabilize that, give them some stability there with the with the rod rotation in the pin. You saw what happened with yeah. Philadelphia when they didn't have a pin. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've been seeing that for multiple years now, and, and even now that it's better, it's certainly not what I'd call elite or by any stretch of imagination. And, you know, they've obviously got some other problems too, but uh, the bullpen is, is certainly one of them. Quickie thing with uh, Merrill Kelly, I, I did look up his contract, and he is on a, he's on a deal that I think the Diamondbacks would like to just go ahead and shed themselves of. It is two years, 18 mil for 23 and 24. So he's, he's actually signed up for multiple years plus a club option in 2025. So that, that may still work out for the Braves. They've got Charlie Morton this year and an option for him as well. But if you think you need another starter for a longer term, he may fit that deal. Now at the same time, if you're only looking for a rental guy, then we go back to Martin Perez. Uh, I'm not sure. Just, I'm not sure Kelly yeah. is good for those two throughout years. That's the, the, my problem with Kelly is that he's what 33 and a half now. Yes. So, uh, so he's going to be 34 next year and 35. And I'm not sure that a guy who's been consistently a four and a half ERA 
uh, in his career is going to be three and a half ERA as he turns 34 and 35. Yeah, he. I mean, well, okay, I was about to quote his 2020 numbers, but the, those don't count. So, yeah, he has been a four and a half uh, overall. So this year actually is significantly better as far as that goes. So I don't know if you necessarily want to sign up longer term for for a guy like that, particularly at $9 million a year. The point is there are options. I mean, this is not a season where you're going to have a Verlander or Scherzer available to trade for. And, you know, obviously the Braves would have trouble playing in that kind of a sandbox, even if they did, even if those guys were available. But, you know, we're talking about Frankie Montas and uh, Luis Castillo being the cream of the crop. That's it. Beyond that, you've got a whole bunch of other, of other guys and the whole bunch of other guys are not going to be that expensive to go acquire. I suspect that's the direction the Braves are going to go regardless of the name of who it is. Yeah. So. I, that, that, I mean, they're sitting right now. I mean, I, first of all, I'm not sure the luxury tax scares anybody this year, uh, but the Braves are Braves have a luxury tax uh, threshold right now, about 207, just over 207 million, which is uh, just a little shy of the first threshold. I'm not sure they want to go much higher than that. That's a hell of a jump from last year to to this year. You know, I'd like to see the Braves have enough money to go out. Well, let's just sign all these guys, and if one of them works, we'll just flush them down the toilet. But that doesn't work. Uh, you know, not in Atlanta. It doesn't even work in Chicago. That's why Theo left. Uh, Hoyer with that mess up there is that the owners up there said, we're not paying money to cover up for your mistakes anymore. And so, and Anthopolis knows that. He tries to, he tries not to make those mistakes. Although, you know, Ozuna's probably the worst deal he ever made. And he may even find a way to flip that out of the way. But, um, the whole point of this whole thing is that you know the kind of guy that Alex is going to go after. He's going to go after somebody that's undervalued, that he can get uh, without breaking the bank, still leave him something to maneuver with if he has to maneuver for something big, and hope that it uh, hope that it works out for him like he did last year. The magic that happened last year, and it was magic, hard to replicate. But, you know, you... This year we're talking about, we're not talking about any dark horses for the outfield. We're talking about Benintendi and Hap and those, and those kind of guys for the outfield. Maybe you go to Kansas City and get Amir Garrett for the bullpen or somebody like that. You know, uh, maybe Bradley Singer. Maybe they'll trade Bradley Singer. He's getting, he, he's not been outstanding since it came up. Okay. He's just our free arm. Maybe they don't want to do that, but if you make the package right to do, there are, there are players out there that haven't bright lights and, and bells and whistles going off around them all the time. And those guys come through for us, for the Braves, for Anthopolis, more often than not. For those who think that all things were bells and whistles and, and celebrate all the way to the World Series last night, uh, last year too, don't forget uh, there were a few bumps in the road in terms of player acquisitions. The Panda, for instance, after the first week, he kind of fell apart. Almora? Uh, Richard Rodriguez? Yeah, that, that relief acquisition didn't quite work out either. So, yeah. It, it it wasn't a perfect record, and the Braves have limited resources, so they're going to have to do what they can with what they got, and and hope for the best. But uh, yeah, I, I think going after more proven quantities in the outfield is probably the the best way to go. Although they're going to also like to see what uh, Eddie Rosario does when he comes back from Gwinnett, and which appears to be soon. You got to recognize that there are going to be others after Benintendi. I saw Philadelphia talked about today in, in those terms. Frankly, I'm not sure if the, the Phillies think they're going to be in the wild card chase or not. We'll, we'll have another month to figure that out. But none of these deals are going to be done in a vacuum. Other people are going to be going after the same kind of players. So we'll have to see how that goes. Philadelphia, uh, Steve Phillips said this the other day. This is a Dave Dabrowski team. His teams are designed to beat you to death. And if you don't catch the ball, then they've got to beat you to death more. And their main be- their main yeah. beaters now out for two months, at least. And uh, their bullpen is still not great. And they have two starters. And Dabrowski is going to sell. I think he needs to. Yeah, he's going to sell. Uh, and you know, frankly, if I could pry Zach Wheeler away from him, I would. He's he's got two years left on his deal. But I don't think he's going to sell like that. I think he's going to try to move one of Schwarber and Castellanos. Good luck with that. And um, I'd swap him Ozuna for Castellanos right now, or Schwarber, uh, or Reese Hoskins, or uh, a bag of baseballs. But 
I just think that he's going to have sell what he can. He's going to try to get some young players back to uh, fill in that roster and, and hope he can develop and do something in the postseason. But it's a typical Dabrowski team. Uh, a lot of thump. Oh, I'll fill the bullpen later. Oh, the bullpen didn't work. Well, I'll do it next year uh, or maybe next year or uh, maybe next year. So um, it's just it's a typical Dabrowski team and they're out of it and he knows it and he'll be he'll be selling people off. Yeah, Bryce Harper is going to come back maybe the first week of August or second week of August, and that's probably the absolute earliest that they'll see him. Losing him for about six weeks is is a crippling blow for them. So I he should I, get the, he should get you. that arm fixed now. He should get his UCL fixed now, so he can come back and spring ready to go. This that's team is not going anywhere. This team is not going anywhere. Uh, fix the wrist, okay. Now at the wrist, go. Let's go back and surgery and fix the elbow and the other arm, okay. And let's get out there and uh, get you ready for the next season. Uh, yeah, because he can't afford he can't afford to come into spring training with not knowing how that elbow is going to react. You're right. Yeah, it, it, this is just a bad deal. I mean, he said he's not going to fix it now, but somebody ought to have a sit down with him. The team is not going anywhere with you. It's not going anywhere without you. We need you for next year. Fix the elbow. Exactly. Let's go to another topic that kind of cropped up within the last week, and that is that there's this confab going on right now about changing the rules kind of ah. fundamentally. And there, there's a couple things that in particular that we're look, looking at. One is the pitch clock. Second is sizes of bases. And I think both those things, if they are implemented right now, it looks like they probably will be, would conspire to maybe help the running game of all the teams right now, the pitch clock in the minor leagues as it's being used this year is 14 seconds between pitches with no runners on base, 18 seconds with runners on base and in triple a, Hey, you get a bonus second with runners on base. You get 19. Um, if you don't throw the ball within that time limit, you get an automatic ball called if a batter is not in the box with, I think it was nine seconds to go, you get an automatic strike called. That has certainly moved long games in the minor leagues, but the minor leagues really weren't the problem to begin with. It's the major leagues, and I'm, I'm curious how that's going to react. One of the things that I have seen in terms of the reaction about how things have gone in the minor leagues is that at least one of the Braves pitchers had, had complained that the running game is now something that he, he can't really compete against. He it's, it's almost impossible to hold runners on. You can't hold the ball indefinitely and, and try and see if the runner flinches or anything like that. You're going to have to go ahead and, and worry about the plate and getting to the plate much more than you are uh, watching first base. The increased base size, if they increase the base size, I think it was about four inches they were talking about it, You've seen how many times we've got bang bang plays at second base for for base dealers. If you add a couple inches, that's two inches less that they have to travel. And certainly we've we've seen a lot of plays where the tag and the the runner arrive almost at the same time, and two inches is going to help the runners immensely. I in in my opinion. So I don't know if they're going to actually do this, but. That that may certainly inject a lot of changes to to offenses in the future if if we start this in 2023. Well, you can't hold runners on. I mean, the the base is three inches wider each side, so uh, you're actually like six inches six inches closer, three inches from you know, on each side of the bag at first and on second. They're actually moving second base back to where uh, it's supposed to be. It's not really. It's not really in in the in the right place. Yeah, it's uh, too far it, away. <laughs> it, it never has been in the right place. So when they move the move the base and they make the bases bigger and they tell the pitcher he's got to throw the ball in 14 seconds, the runner on first base can count, ladies and gentlemen. He he can count, and when that pitcher's got to throw the ball, he's off because yep. the pitcher can't do anything at that point. It's rare that you get these guys by more than the skin of your teeth. Now you make the distance shorter. And they're going to steal bases all over the place. Now, will the sabermetrics guys say, you know, you have to be 75%? Guys, I'm 90%. Let me go. Because, <laughs> because everybody that's fast, Acuna is going to steal 50 bases. Oz is going to steal 50 bases. They're going to, there's going to be a runaway in base stealing out there that they will not be able to deal with. It'll be, there'll be people laughing at this, complaining about it all year. The other thing that happens, and you said it won't, 
Maybe it won't, but the first time Harper or Mike Trout or some superstar steps out of the box to adjust his batting gloves and the ball goes, the umpire says, strike three, you're out with the bases loaded. That pitch clock's going to hell. Okay. <laughs> the owners are not going to allow the players they pay $200 million for on the field like that. These guys have been playing this game this way for a long time. And okay, maybe the kids coming up with the minors will adjust to it and everybody will be hunky dory. But you, how are you going to get Nelson Cruz to adjust to that? How are you going to get, uh, Freddie Freeman to adjust to that? Most of these guys are pretty close to it, but there are people who take their own sweet time up there and they're pretty big names. And Jason Hayward. <clears throat> Jason, well, Hayward's not longer a big name, but Jason Hayward is True. one of the guys who does that. But yes. anybody who steps in and out of the batter's box a couple of times, a pitcher can't step off the mound and walk around the mound because He's gonna be, it's gonna be a ball. And these closers, I'm, you know, maybe the union's hunky dunky with that. Maybe the owners just haven't, uh, woken up long enough to realize what they're approving here. The other thing is, why, how, where, how did they arrive at 14 seconds? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting well, question. What, what is it? They throw dart at a spinning dartboard and hit double seven? What? I just don't know where they come up with these numbers, but, um, we're apparently going to find out, so um, hold on to your tails and uh, bet on a lot of stolen bases. Yeah, I personally wonder if they aren't going to increase another second or two at the major for the major league pitch clock if if and when they come up with an agreement on this. I mean, there's a whole lot of guys who just have not adjusted to that kind of thing, and a lot of them are like human rain delays. I mean, Kendall Jansen for crying out loud. <laughs> There's that uh, kid that we saw in the World Series for for the Astros that went through a whole bunch of gyrations before he pitched. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Plays for Houston. You've got guys like that who've been doing this sort of thing for ages, and to ask them to do something different is not real good for keeping them doing the same kinds of things mechanically that they've been doing all along. And I don't think that's going to help their their performance uh, whatsoever. Then you got guys, got guys like Spencer Strider who looks like, okay, give me the ball, let me throw the ball. <laughs> so he, he's ideal for this situation. He, he's got no problem with it whatsoever. Everybody else, eh, not so much, maybe. Well, uh, but, you know, you yeah. know, Strider's a throwback because that, in you know, I I grew up watching Bob Gibson and and Sandy <laughs> Colfax and Don Drysdale, and they got the ball and threw the ball, and the batters were very uncomfortable. <laughs> They were very uncomfortable about that, particularly when Drysdale was pitching. I was going to say, with Drysdale and Gibson, you were uncomfortable for other reasons. (laughs) Yeah, well, Drysdale was really the headhunter. Gibson didn't hit you unless he was told he was going to hit you. He'd say, previously, if you get hit, I aim for to hit you. So, but this, uh, but they got the ball and threw the ball. This, this whole human rain delay thing has come on and on and on with expansion and holding base runners and, the walk up music. All, yeah, walk up music. The umpires have, uh, have always had the ability to start the start with thirty seconds. If you're not ready in thirty seconds, they can start calling balls and strikes until you are ready. They've never enforced that, so they have to make a new rule and put a clock out there so the umpires will, are able to enforce the rule they've been enforcing for fifty years. I un unconvinced that we'll see a fourteen second pitch clock or a fifteen second pitch clock in the major leagues. I'm not sure that once the owners and the players think about it, that they want it. Well, this has kind of been a crusade of Manfred, so I'm not. I, I, I'm sort of leaning the other direction. I got to admit. I think though that getting the base is going to be a much bigger deal because there's so many bang bang plays, especially at second base. I think it's going to really unleash the the running game, and I I wonder what uh, teams want to do to combat that. Maybe less slugging. And since uh, we're also talking about getting rid of the shift and and maybe more hitting, that might be a good thing. Well, I, you know, again, I, I, if they make the benches three inches wider, that gives Olsen three inches farther to stretch. And <laughs> yes. I'm just, I'm, you know, it, what's what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. They, they're going to have, it, it makes it the throws to first base that don't get them by a hair are going to get them by a hair because they're, they don't have to throw so far. And if only a Throwing it probably doesn't make any difference anyway, <laughs> but it's going to help the runners more than it is, is everybody else. But I just think it's a lot of people trying to fix something that isn't, isn't all that broken. And, yeah. and there are unintended consequences to things, and I'm absolutely certain that whoever is telling Manfred this will work 
I'm sure that he had a directive to go in and said, find a way to make this work. When they come back and say it won't work, he said, you know, listen, I told you to find a way to get this to work. Now, when you give somebody that, they're going to find a way to get it to work because they work for you. But in the in the end, somebody's going to there's going to be an unintended consequence of this, and they may not be able to he may not be able to survive the unintended consequences. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the uh, bottom line is they they saw, hey, minor league game times are significantly shorter now that we put in this pitch clock and we, and and nobody's uh, hurting from any of these other changes we're doing. Let's do it and. Maybe that How long work? were minor Maybe league games in the first place? How long were minor league games in the first place? Yeah, well, I mean, we I, did, yeah, they're a lot shorter anyhow since you don't have uh, the same kind of commercial breaks that uh, between innings, and that's really what's lengthened games is, is the advertising. It's not the uh, not the game itself, in, in my reckoning. Yeah, well, we've had we played a two hour and twenty minute game in 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 uh, Arlington. Uh, I was at the two hour and twenty minute game between the Braves and Braves and the Rangers. Pitchers, nobody, no, no, every ball that was hit was on the ground or right at somebody. Great game if you're if you're in for pitching, and it had a great pace of play because it was up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Now, when Manfred talks about pace of play, he wants the ball in play. He wants to see people running. I just think he has the wrong idea about how to do this. I don't think that if you gave real baseball players an open checkbook to do whatever they want to do, that any of this would be in there would be what they came up with. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, hell, what do I know? Well, before we get out of here, there's an offer on the table we're hearing that Juan Soto is has to be mulling over. Said to be 13 years and 425 million dollars from the Nationals. Wow. How do you? I, I don't know if you walk away from that kind of money, but uh, he walked away from 350 million earlier allegedly. So. I don't know how that's going to go, but that that sounds like something that might cripple the the Nationals. Of course, they're also for sale, so it may not cripple the Lerner family. It may cripple whoever comes along behind them. But uh, you had some thoughts about that relative to Mike Trout, though. The Angels have mostly Artie Marino uh, out there, the the GMs that he pushed around, uh, had the best player in my lifetime, well, the best player in this portion of my lifetime, because I saw Mays <laughs> and Aaron, <laughs> but but Mike Trout is a special ball player. He's been in the postseason once. Now, when in my in my youth, Ernie Banks was a special ball player. He never got to the postseason, <laughs> and everybody screamed, "That's a horrible shame." Well, yes, it is. And the Angels are spending money on dumb stuff, and now they have a payroll that is unsupportable. The Nationals, in the long term, would be far better off to trade Soto for a dozen prospects, and they would easily get that for him, to somebody who's going to be able to put him on a winning team. Because I don't think Soto wants to sit in Washington, D.C. on a losing team like Trout did for 10 years. I don't think he wants to do that for his whole career. He wants to get to the postseason. And while owners will say, well, we will put this team around you, the record of owners doing that is that they don't. They just don't. Moreno didn't do it. We've seen other other teams. Colorado's not done it two or three times. Teams that have tried to do it have collapsed under their own weight. You have to understand what the total value of your of your roster is going to be in payroll terms. And if you're giving... If you're giving, I don't I haven't calculated that out. What is that? Forty billion a year, thirty-nine million a 30, year, thirty-two point seven million. Uh, okay, th- for 30, 32, 32.7 million a year, and you're going to bring in a guy like Max Scherzer because you're going to need a couple of those guys at thirty or thirty-five million a year, and all of a sudden three guys are making a hundred million dollars, and they have no farm system now to speak of. How are you going to generate the income? To put those players on the field, look around you. The Dodgers are suffering. The Dodgers have a huge payroll. People get injured. Bellinger's fallen off a cliff this year. Uh, Max Muncy, nah, he ain't hitting either. And all of a sudden, the powerhouse of the National League is in second place behind the Padres or tied with them or wherever it's at today. But the, the team that was going to walk away with this 
is not make the postseason unless they get Walker Bueller back healthy and find somebody to go into that bullpen. They've got you. Money does not buy championships long term. You can win in a short space, but eventually you're going to fall down off that mountain. The Yankees did it. The Dodgers are going to look heading that away. We've seen this happen over and over and over again. And and apparently nobody's paying attention. They want to win. I I will do this differently. Yeah, no, you won't. Uh, because because when you when you win like the Dodgers, the Dodgers haven't had a top twenty five draft pick in years, and they've traded away their good stuff. They get they traded for Trey Turner. They gave away uh, prospects to him. They're going to let Turner walk next year. Because they don't care for him as a shortstop guy, but they're, and so you're going to have you you have holes to fill. Don't have that strong farm system where you can push those players up to surround one or two stars. You're you're better spending 35 million on two really good players, where the one great player who when he gets injured is out. I just I think it's a foolish idea, and I think if Soto has got his head on what he wants is good pay and World Series rings. Ask Mike Trout how that works. Okay. Yeah, that, that's the thing. If, if you pay one guy the moon, then everything else has to be a compromise. And, you know, unless you're going to be a Steve Cohen and don't even care about luxury taxes or anything like that. But that's not the way things are going in Washington. And this is a team that is for sale, and I suppose they've made the decision that having that one asset in Soto is better than not or for for selling the team. But I gotta wonder if replenishing your farm system with a whole bunch of premium players is the better way to go. And if they were to do it now or very shortly, I think they could get their rebuild started quickly. But and, that's, and that's I, not the way I they're love going. Juan Soto. I love Soto because I think he's got the be- the best swing and the best eye, the best zone control, and I he's think he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be a good hitter for a long time. But what if twenty twenty two is Ron is Juan Soto? What yeah, what if what if what if he's what if he is this guy all of a sudden? I'm not saying he is. I don't believe he is. But what if he is? What if you give him thirty three million a year and he hits two twenty? Yeah, then it becomes uh, a Ryan Howard kind of situation all over again. Exactly. I'm curious how this is going to play out. He is hitting 224 this year. Maybe that's because he's sort of bored. I don't know, but he does have 14 homers. He is leading the he's team in homers. He, okay, but still 224. And if somebody's dangling 400 million in front of me with the year I'm having like that, I'm taking it. And I think that could cripple Washington for the future. As from the Braves' point of view, go ahead, do your own self-destruction. But <laughs> I think that's a bad idea uh, as to how to proceed. I want to see good players on every team. I don't want to go in and, and see, play a minor league team, and that's it's just no fun. There's Agreed. no. It's, it's just not, and they want to expand two more teams. Come on, give me a break, guys. Where are you going to get the pitching for this? I mean, you know, uh, wait, you go bring Charlie Huff out of retirement? What the hell? These, <laughs> they, these, these, this expansion deal. These people who want to tell me there's plenty of pitchers in the minor leagues who can start in the major leagues now. Show me, show yeah. me those guys. Because if those guys are there now, why aren't they pitching for teams? Every team needs starting pitchers. Exactly. Every team. Every team could use two more starters. And if there's enough starters out there to fill two more teams, that's 12 more starters. Gee whiz, we could give every team a starter. I just don't see them. I remember the first expansion, and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, uh, you've been an advocate for a while of actually contracting teams. <laughs> yeah, it was the only good idea Bud Selig had. Well, I think that's probably enough ranting uh, for tonight. We need to save some rants for the next week, I guess. So let's get off the porch. This rocker's kind of giving me an itch anyway. So let's uh, scratch it. I do not want to. You know, let's not do that. We'll stop here and thank you for all for listening in. Do us a favor of checking on a writer on TomHawkTake.com. For now, this is Off Leo's Rocker. Fred and I thank you for hearing out these two grumpy old men. We'll see you next time. 
Off Leo's Rocker is a podcast presentation for the fans of the Atlanta Braves. It's brought to you from TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, the latter of which is a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of their participants, since Minute Media maintains plausible deniability of everything we're doing. In other words, they don't listen to us. All rights reserved. All of the musical selections used in this episode come via rights outright purchased by TomahawkTake.com. And hopefully that's the only use of the word outright that involves us this week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. We trust that if somebody ever waves a $400 million contract in front of your face, that your only reaction is, give me a pen, quick. But in the meantime, let's just go watch our Braves chase down those pesky Mets. And we'll make sure the front porch is cleaned up for your visit next week. See y'all then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.